Gleimi aldregi er i Herrans 1314. The darker the night, the brighter the stars. A Dostoevsky quote shared by my guest today, Norwegian artist and former pro snowboarder Danny Larsen. Danny specializes in dark yet beautiful paintings that are done entirely by small, individual dots with an acrylic pen. When I first discovered Danny on Instagram back in 2019, I was initially drawn to his work, not just the quality and style, but the endurance required to do large pointillism pieces. Shortly after, I saw that he had done the artwork for one of my favorite modern black metal albums by the Norwegian band Dievel, which is the intro music to the show today. Only in the past year have I learned that Danny was a prominent professional snowboarder in the early 2000s, riding for K2 and several other brands. The more time I've spent learning about Danny and interviewing him for this episode, the more of a fan I've become of him and his work. I'm really grateful for the opportunity I had to speak with Danny, and I hope you all find our conversation to be as interesting, surprising, and illuminating as I found it to be. This is the 4A Podcast. I'm Robbie Stout, and this is my interview with Danny Larson. All right. Hi, Danny. Uh, Welcome to the 4A Podcast. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. And uh, where are you for our recording today? Well, I'm sitting in my studio, which is in the outskirts of Oslo, uh, close to my house. Uh, it's about an hour outside of Oslo in Norway, in a quite snowy, snowy day. Winter return today, so it's quite beautiful outside. And I'm painting a, painting a big canvas filled up with snowflakes, so it's quite fitting. Yeah, and uh, do you commute by foot to your uh, studio every day? Yeah um very like every now and then i need to take the cart because i need to pick the kids up but basically i either walk down or i snowboard down to my studio today it had been snowing quite a bit so i got to snowboard down to my studio from my house awesome and and i i've I've tried to picture this before because is your studio or your house up higher or are you kind of going over a, a mountain in either direction uh, my studio is at the foot of a hill, and uh-huh. my house is about midway to the top of that, uh, to the top of that hill. So it's the worst snow off the hill, but I do uh-huh. get the snowboard all the way down. So when I'm done working, I might head to the top of the hill, like above my house, and then I get to ride proper powder. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So I actually kind of want to start uh, today just going way back to um, just you growing up in Norway. Um, Where did you grow up uh, exactly? I grew up in a small, uh, small, I don't know if you can even call it a village. It's called Lummedalen, meaning meaning pocket valley. Uh, It's also about 45 minutes outside of Oslo. It's the same forest uh, that's right behind my house, but just like a different valley. Um, The very like nice little foresty village life right next to the um, ski hill. Oh, cool. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Was there like a nearby ski resort that you were able to ski and snowboard on? Yeah, I think uh, it could have been like five minute walk from my house. So I would sit and do my homework, like wolf down some dinner. Uh, and I would look and see when the when the T-bar would start running. 
and that's when I would run out. So there was no point of being there like before, or like let's say they were supposed to open at five o'clock or something. It was only night riding. I, I, I could sit in my living room and look at the lifts and see when they started, and then I would head out. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And you did you have like siblings and and, and two parents and two parents, uh, one brother, one sister, and one dog. Oh wow, awesome. And uh, did you all grow up as skiers initially? Uh, yes. My sister might have skipped out on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, she did snowboard and ski a little bit, but not as much as my me and my little brother. And was like cross country skiing or anything like that part of your your family? Well, in Norway, it's kind of mandatory. Like everyone needs to be <clears throat> needs cross country skiing. But my my family found a solution to that problem, so we never really cross country skied. Uh, okay. And when I was quite young, I broke my lower back, which uh, which meant that skiing was pretty pretty difficult and painful for me. So I was. Uh, I didn't have to do it in school, and was with, that that was like a normal PE class uh, mm-hmm, back in the days. Mm-hmm. Like you had to cross country ski, um, but it's a hobby that I did pick up again as I grew older. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's funny because that's kind of how I picture Norway. Like everyone's cross country skiing, but I I think that's it was just my imagination. Um, oh no, so it's actually. Cool to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People actually cross country ski to work in Oslo. And Oslo is not like it's it's a proper city. People cross country ski in the streets of Oslo to work. Like today it's it's no chaos. I'm sure there's a bunch on skis today. And so when did you uh start snowboarding then? I started snowboarding in ninety four. I was born in eighty one, so I don't know how mm-hmm. old I was. I'm pretty bad at math, but it was the uh it was right around i was right after the olympics in 94 which was in lillehammer norway i remember that oh, yeah. yeah 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 actually mom i think my mom went to the lillehammer olympics uh surprisingly as um, a contestant no <laughs> as a she could probably could have she was a good skier <laughs> but uh no just as a a viewer okay cool. <laughs> yeah yeah we were supposed um, to we were supposed to go it was a big deal here in norway but uh unfortunately something happens we didn't get to see it when you started snowboarding was it i don't know was like it frowned upon still or were your parents supportive of that yeah snowboarding was definitely frowned upon in my local hill uh, my parents did not care one second about that and they thought it was pretty silly that it was frowned upon um back Back in the days, skateboarding was even, uh, it was banned in Norway. It was illegal to skateboard wow. uh, up until 1989, I think. Uh, but my parents, they, uh, they smuggled in a skateboard for me. Uh, and they thought that that, that rule, that law was pretty damn silly. So my mom and yeah. dad they, they definitely didn't care, and they thought like the snowboard scene was really great because everyone was really nice and friendly to each other. Uh, but the local ski resort, they they did not like us. They would lo- would allow us on the hill by the time I started snowboarding, but we were not allowed to have any jumps or pretty much. We were only allowed to do turns, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my uh, my parents they would, would stand by our side when we get caught for building jumps, 
and yeah. uh, they told him to fuck off pretty much because yeah. we were just be- being kids having fun. Yeah, that sounds a little familiar. I mean, I think most resorts don't allow any like structure building in terms of jumps. Um, but, you know, the natural like uh, kind of like smaller jumps always form and yeah, uh, those are fun to hit. So in school, like middle school, high school, were you like a good student? Were you rebellious? I, you know, what kind of kid kid were you? I do remember my teacher always telling me that I was a, I was definitely a bright student, a really smart student, but I needed to try mm-hmm. a little bit harder, which I think is cold for you're doing pretty bad. And I just did not have any interest. I've always been like that. Like, there's no point of me learning all of this because I'm going to do this blah, blah, blah afterwards anyway. And you don't need maths uh, if you're going to be an artist, for instance. So I kind of always mm-hmm. knew I was going to be an artist artist or pro snowboarder. So I'd never thought mm-hmm. any further than that, that you might, that, that dream might not work. So mm-hmm. it might be smart to have that education as well. but. Uh, I think I did pretty okay. Definitely no A student. I did get A in like the subjects I, I was interested in, but uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Def- I was definitely not a school school student. I was I, yeah. I, I wanted to do other stuff. Yeah, and that that really sounds familiar. I I I was a terrible student when I was really young, even through middle school, uh, and that was like my peak kind of snowboard years, and then a little bit in high school. I don't know. I just, I, I knew I was smart, but I just like, kind of like you said, I just didn't really care. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think I had like serious kind of ADD needed to move around, run around energy. And I was going to ask, like, it actually seems like you are kind of the opposite of that, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, no, I think like I have, if I grew up like the way things are now, I'm pretty sure I'm, I would have been diagnosed with a couple of letters. Uh, uh-huh. yeah. but, uh, back then there was no such thing. So I don't know, kind of like a mix between like the, I was, uh, what do you say? Not, not a bully. Uh, I was always trying to be nice to everyone, but like, uh, I was definitely like, kind of like the class clown rebels, yeah. weirdo, whatever. Yeah. I only wanted to snowboard. That was the only mm-hmm. thing I wanted to do or draw. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. So um, when did you pick up just your artistic ability? When did you realize that you were good at it or you really enjoyed it? It's always been there. Uh, I grew up in a family. Like my dad is a really good painter. And it's always been in our family that painting is just something you do or draw is something you do. Uh, strangely enough, my, my, my little brother, he has, he's, he has no interest for it. Uh, my little sister a little bit, but to me it was just like it was the most normal thing. It's like I'm I'm sure it's like with uh, kids that have a common interest for sports with their dad or something like that. That was for me that was art. So uh, so we would have like the common common interest in artists, and we like the same type of artist and uh, going to like. We wouldn't we wouldn't go often to art shows or museums, I mean, but it would be it would happen and I would be excited to see like, oh there's there's Monet or that's like oh there's Van Gogh. Mm-hmm. So it's always been there. And um when you were creating art 
you know, as, as a kid, I mean, was it just for the pure joy of it? Were you, were you trying to get better? I guess I'm just wondering what the inspiration was. Yeah. I don't uh, to, think to any, create, I don't think anyone would have called, including me would have called that art what I did back then, but uh, mm-hmm. it was just doodling. Uh, mm-hmm. It comes as natural as, uh, I don't know, breathing or running. It was, it was just something I had to do. It was a, mm-hmm. it was definitely a way for me to, I don't like the expression <laughs> to express myself. That kind of, that got a little meta there for a second, but it was definitely something I, I definitely felt like I had to do. And as soon as I sat mm-hmm. still, I, I had to have a pen in my hand and I started like drawing, but I had no, no ambitions of getting better or anything like that. I just knew I kind of, I was going to be an artist when I grew up. Uh, but, but no effort put into actually making that happen. And, um, like, did you have a lot of friends and were you super social or, yeah, or, or kind of both, you know? Um, uh, no, I was, I was really social. Uh, okay. yeah. um, I'm definitely, a, I'm definitely an introvert in the, in the way that I, I really do like to sit by myself and just doodle, do my own thing. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I, I'm also really, I, I, I like people. So, mm-hmm. um, had a lot of friends. We, uh, that's, that's the main thing we did in the, our local ski resort was just like, you knew you were going to meet your friends there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And so, um, when you were snowboarding in, um, I'm going to try to pronounce this Vidragan de Scuola high school. <laughs> Is yeah. that even right? Uh, um, I understood what you were trying to say at least. Yeah. <laughs> What kind of snowboarding uh, were you eventually doing? I mean, you said you knew you wanted to be pro, but like your little ski hill didn't really have the infrastructure for practicing, you know, kind of epic no. tricks and stuff. Um, no. So how did you know you had the skill to, to keep going? Well, first of all, so where I grew up, the, there, there's, I don't know how many, let's see, there's one, two, three, there's like within half an hour, there's probably like five, six ski resorts, like very small hills. Mm-hmm. And so where I grew up, we were like a crowd of pretty good snowboarders. We would kind of take turns being the best that week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we, there was another hill that was like the uh, the hub of all the local talents in in our area. And that's where, I mean, you got like sil- uh, Olympian silver medalist Ola Sombeck and like uh, X Games winner Andreas Wieg and Torstein Badgram. Like, a, no, no, not Torstein. Uh, Alec Ostrich. There's just tons and tons and tons of people coming out of this very small hill. And we started traveling over there because they had jumps and they had a half pipe and even had a rail, I think. So we started riding there and suddenly, like, uh, the progression just exploded and we were riding with a lot of a lot better snowboarders both older and the same age as our as our, uh, as we were um then i met up like with uh like andreas wieg uh became pretty much the world's best snowboarder at that time so that was that was the dude i was riding a lot with and by the time i got to high school that was where we that's where we would ride on a daily basis. And this, were you like probably riding a lot at night? I take it only. Wow. The, yeah. the hill, the hills were only open daytime uh, during the weekend. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, uh, we our town we had a we we still have a school that um, has a reverse schedule. So you go to school all summer and you have the winter off. Okay, um, and that, that's not the main school. It's called the Winter Sports School, and it's where a lot of the winter athletes um, go to school. And when I was taking snowboarding seriously, um, that's where I went for like my first two years of high school. And that meant we could literally be on the mountain every single day, all day. Um, and that was pretty incredible. Um, yeah, we had a school just like that. It was actually the neighboring high school from where I went to. But, uh, mm-hmm. but they just opened, uh, they, they opened for snowboarders the mm-hmm. year after I started high school. And high school was only three years. I'm like, oh, I'm already like finished with one third of it. Uh, so I decided not to join, even though you could join. And then, uh, but I think like out of our generation of pro snowboarders from Norway, it was like it was Andreas Wieg and me. We were the only ones who didn't go to that school. Were you ever like a competitive snowboarder, like slope style, half pipe stuff, or 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 not really? Yeah, I I felt like I had to. Uh, yeah, yeah. To, to to get my na- name out there, but I absolutely hated contests. I it was mm-hmm. the worst thing I could think of. Um, so as soon as I kind of were in a position where I could kind of put like set some demands, that was I'd probably put down some demands a little bit too early. Uh, but um, I did tell all my sponsors like I'm not going to do any contests because I I can't stand them. And I think right after high school, you said that um, you had applied to an art school. I, th- I think you got in and then made that decision to become a, a pro snowboarder. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, mm-hmm. It was like a it was like an art art slash illustrator slash graphic design type of school because uh, I um, I figured that's kind of what I want to do. That's a proper job, but then. I was offered, I was offered like, uh, start, like pro deals, uh, f- from my sponsors and snowboarding. So finally I was starting to get paid, getting paid with snowboarding. And I realized that there was probably a future for me in pro snowboarding. And that kind of seemed unreal, uh, almost un- unattainable. But uh, so when that opportunity presented itself, I decided to um, go for that opportunity. And then, uh, I mean, my idea was that art is an old man's game anyway. So Mm -hmm. you can always do art while you do other things. So I can just like do that at the same time. And then when I'm done snowboarding, I can become, I can return to art and, yeah, and I think in like the high end art world, artists in their thirties and forties are s- still considered young artists, basically. Yeah, I'm <laughs> so. really happy about that. Cause, yeah, I'm still considered yeah. young. I think. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. And who was your first sponsor who kind of like basically took a gamble on you as a as a, as a writer? Um, the pretty sure the first. Yeah, the first I actually got paid from, uh, that was Spy Optics. Oh, cool. And, and then like, like right afterwards, I got on K2 and mm-hmm. a Norwegian outerwear brand called Whiteout, which is a, it was kind of like a, 
it's under the it doesn't exist anymore but it's under a norwegian company called norona uh they had this snowboard focused brand for some time uh so at the same time i got pretty much those three and i stuck with them pretty much for the rest of my career oh wow and were you like 18 19 when you got those first sponsorships uh, my memory is a little bit fuzzy about the details, but it's something yeah. around there, something around those years. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's impressive. I just, I kind of just feel like, um, in terms of, I mean, maybe you just matured really quickly. Um, but I feel like I was pretty young to be so good. I mean, obviously there's kids today who are like ripping insane stuff at like 12 or whatever, but I just feel like back then we didn't have the same accelerator programs to to get good quickly as as like young kids oh no um no i think it was uh like now kids are they're already promising when they're like around i don't know nine ten yeah yeah but back then it's like if you're like whoa you've seen that kid is only 16 Uh (laughs) but we were quite lucky here in norway that there norway it's a small country um, mm-hmm. All of Norway mm-hmm. is only five million, million people, and so everyone knows each other. And like, even though back then I didn't know like Daniel Frank and Terio Håkonsen, but they they were just around the corner, and they were friends of friends. And so their progression is something that we fed off of. So I, yeah, I think like when I started doing seasons in Mammoth uh, in California. And we, we noticed that we already had a pretty good, solid foundation coming from the shitty hills of Norway and then coming mm-hmm. to this paradise of a mountain in California. How did you develop like your more kind of technical, like aerial skills, like uh, anything inverted? Did you do anything in the summer, like, like lots of trampoline or did you have any like access to water ramps or anything like that? No, no, nothing like that. Everything was learned on snow uh, during season. We did have like, Mm -hmm. there's a, there's a really cool glacier out here called Fogafona, which we would Mm -hmm. basically live at during the summertime. But um, I'm terrified of trampolines and I've tried jumping into water back in the days before they figure out you need bubbles to soften up (laughs) the surface. So yeah. I did that like once and I'm like, never, never again. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, but so I learned to snowboard on pretty much. It's, it's, it's cold in Norway. It doesn't snow that much usually. Um, so I learned to snowboard on ice. Uh, and then you just get confident and you learn how to fall. And then whenever the snow, the snow is soft, you dare to try everything. And so... During your snowboard career, you didn't really, you didn't step away from being an artist. You you basically continued drawing the entire time. Is that correct? Well, in the beginning, being a pro snowboarder was so, so exciting that I had very few other ideas in my head. But I always picked up on what was like really cool. I, I love like the snowboard scene had such an amazing uh, focus on like graphics and artwork on boards and clothing and marketing and stuff like that. So I picked up on that, up on that. And like back in the days, it was like Grenade made all, they made like stencil art, like the coolest thing in the world. So 
I would always do, I would do a bunch of stuff like that. And then I would do like small comic figures. And like when like forum was the coolest, I remember like making like forum style graphics and stuff like that. I even made yeah. like a, I even made like a, like a Shane, like a bling bling uh, graphic for my local shop sponsor in Norway, I remember. And uh, so it's always been there. It's just like, it, 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 it's very natural for me to always play around with the stuff like that. And I always have like a, some kind of computer drawing program. And so I would always do that. But I do remember I was filming for a European film company called Pirate Movie Production. And um, with the release of their DVD, they would also hand out um, an, an art book where all the writers were free to collaborate and do whatever they wanted. So that kind of sparked my interest in art again, because they took the book and then they would print up our submissions and it would be like an art show that would travel to, like all over. Like, uh, I, don't, I don't know if we went to the US, but at least like we had art shows in Vienna and Paris and London, Innsbruck. It was really cool. So that was kind of like when my my love for art really got ignited again. And and what do you think the connection was between snowboarding and art in general? And I'm not really just saying you, but it I've always had this sense in snowboarding that there's been this like artistic approach, like even the way some of the videos were made originally, there was always kind of a creative artistic kind of approach. Um yeah, and, I've been thinking I mean, obviously about. Obviously, you have a you have a bigger canvas, right? Like the board itself is like this big canvas in a way. Yeah. Um, to me, I think because I've been thinking about this a lot, and I do think it's not that snowboarders turn out to be artistic; is that artistic people are really drawn towards like the board sports so, or or something like that because mm -hmm. it's so free it's like it's the punk attitude you can do whatever you want you can express yourself how, however you want mm -hmm. um so i do think it's just artistic people do love or, or, or often love skateboarding or snowboarding and i can see that now in like the art scene here in oslo uh i ran into people and they like Oh, they asked me where I'm going. I'm going to some new art show opening, and they're like, "Ah, oh, who's who's who, who's whose show is it?" And it always, it's always friends of mine from the snowboarding days who are now having like the big gallery shows in Oslo. So um, it is quite interesting, actually, to see exactly how many of the the big artists now come from like skateboarding or snowboarding. Mm -hmm. And I think like as well, especially the younger kids, they were at, like, if they were trying to create like, let's say a snowboard video or um, just like a homemade one, you know, I, you know, it's an act of creativity. Like they're out there trying to get these certain shots. And, and I don't know that I think just like that creative act leads into careers later where they're yeah. still cre creating, you know? Yeah, I think so. I think. So the initial thing is that I think like creative people are drawn towards skateboarding, snowboarding, but at the same time, mm -hmm. it also, it, it facilitates that interest mixed and mixed in with snowboarding. So 
you love you love to make stuff at the same time as you snowboard. So you make snowboard movies, or you make like how many friends do we have who are snowboarders who have made some kind of shitty little brand that sell I don't know belts or t-shirts or something. There, yeah. There's a lot of people who just love to create um, in this scene, so. Uh, it's quite interesting to see now that I've gotten older who see, like to see all of my friends, what they do for a living. And it's all, it's a lot of creative jobs and also a lot of actual artists. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you had some pro models from, I think K2 and, and a boot company. I'm not sure which one. Um, 32. 32. Oh, sweet. Yeah. And did you and you were de designing some of the the boards, right? For K two, is that right? Yep, design boards, both my board and other boards for K two. Uh -huh. I I saw like the uh, I can't remember what it was called. It was like lobster or something. Um, yeah, that that board looked so cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did a board. I did that as a I think uh, what would they call it? They call it the artist series for that was after my snowboarding career was over. Okay. But, okay. Uh, so Lobster is owned by friends of mine, the uh, Haldor and Eki Helgason. Mm -hmm. So they would, uh, they just asked me if I felt like doing a board and big fans of their snowboarding. And I think it's pretty cool what they did with that brand. So yeah, I just decided uh, I, I, I made a board and it was turned out pretty cool. Yeah. And so I guess when you were with K2 then, um, did you design your own pro model then? Yeah. Uh, I think, I'm not sure. I think I had one or two like actual pro models where it had my name on it. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I, but I did other boards as well. I even did boards that people really thought was my pro model board because it was just full of my drawings and yeah. I was, it was just, it was like, it was my board. Yeah. Your name was on there somewhere. <laughs> Somehow, I did a bunch of drunk pub drawings, uh, bar drawings, and then uh, it ended up on the board that I tried to be. Uh, I tried to name it uh, the Grabby Stabby, but legal's legal team at K two said that will absolutely not fly. Uh, they have a pretty good legal team that know what they're doing at K two. Uh, so then I tried to get the name, to get the board named uh, Lord Voldeboard. They said that would probably not go either. <laughs> okay. So your, I guess I want to ask too, I, were you in a lot of videos or like the, the kind of more well-known snowboard videos? Um, well, it started off, I, I, I don't even have an idea of how many video parts I have, like, I don't know, 15, 20 maybe. Um, mm. So it started off with like the biggest European production um pirate movie production back then uh after a while i moved over to uh what turned out to be my favorite production company videograss uh i filmed with them for a couple of years and yeah that was always my focus i wanted to make films or snowboard films not contests or anything like that but my big biggest what i liked the absolute most was to shoot photos or get get my photos taken mm -hmm. uh, and work together with like brilliant photographers and create something special there. So that was being in snowboard movies were more like a more like a vehicle 
to allow me to go out there with the best photographers. Mm -hmm. And um, what was your last, like what year was your last year as a professional writer? Uh, it was, I should know this because it was the year my son was born, uh, 2014. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That took a little too long. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, uh, I'm kidding. pretty bad with numbers. I don't. I don't think I could even confidently tell you how old I am. Like right off yeah. the bat. Yeah. Uh, and so, and and that I take it that's that was your last year because your son was born. Yeah. Um, I uh, as soon as we found out that. Uh, my wife was pregnant. I called up my sponsors and said, thank you for the ride and thank you for all of you done, but that's it for me. I'm done. Because mm -hmm. I don't, I didn't want to be a traveling dad. I wanted to be there for, for my son. Uh, so, so, <laughs> so did, we, uh, did you make that decision after he was born or like just before he was born? No, as soon as we figured out, it was like, what is it like? Is it three months? It goes by before you're like quite certain that it will become a child from the pregnancy. Yeah, like twelve weeks they say. So yeah, three months. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was basically on that day. I'm like, all right, I'm that's it. I'm I'm done. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. I just told him like, uh, there's no give that budget money to some young cool kids that definitely need it way more than I do, and uh, I, I was done. So uh, I did that, bought a house, quit my job, and suddenly realized that I just bought a house and was going to have a kid and didn't have a job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which also means no income. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that had to be pretty stressful for a while. Oh, um, yeah. I was losing my mind cause, because of the stress. Because um, I thought, I thought, uh, it's the same way I did it at school. I just knew, I knew what I could do. So in my mind, it was no problem. You just get a job, probably a really cool job that pays enough. Uh, but turns out that none of the companies that I tried to talk to, they believed in my background as a professional fun haver on snowboard, uh, <laughs> would would work in a professional setting. And even though I try to tell them that I did work with marketing for the world's biggest snowboard companies and sporting goods company for over 15 years, they didn't really believe in that. So no one wanted to hire me. And I was basically, I was forced to just come up with a solution. And that's when I realized like, all right, this is the time I, I need to, uh, need to make this dream of being an artist come alive mm -hmm. and and just to back up a little bit when did you meet your wife i met my wife at the norwegian snowboard championships in 2001 okay i mean you guys must have been really uh in love with each other if she was willing to be with a, a traveling snowboarder <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> you know? absolutely uh, yeah. No, she's a lovely, lovely, lovely woman, human being and mm -hmm. mother. Uh, we've been together since 2001 and we've been in love ever since. Still are. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So you you don't have a job. You need money. You've, you've got a kid and you've got to make your art you know, generate income somehow. 
Um, so did you set out initially or from the very beginning to create like fine art or were you doing more commission um, kind of design pieces initially? Yeah. yeah. So in my opinion, in the snowboard industry, um, there's no difference between graphic design, art, or uh, just like illustrations. It's all the same thing. Um, so in the beginning, I just started doing, uh, I, I tried to call up all my contacts just to let them know I was going to try to make it as an illustrator illustrator because uh, that was what my friends were doing who were also like graphic designers from the snowboard snowboard uh, industry and they were like the designing boards but at the same time they would also do like I don't know illustrations for packaging for salamis or something like that so I started doing that and for some really odd reason it worked out like right off right away and I got a bunch of got a bunch of like commissioned jobs to illustrate stuff and I illustrated a bunch of weird stuff I took any any job I could get uh it was quite tiring but suddenly I got uh I got contacted by a guy at become friends with uh who turns out to be uh he was running this new like star restaurant in oslo called the Miami. Uh and he wanted to have me like make some artwork uh he was a fellow like black metal fan and liked what i was doing and uh, he wanted me to uh, make artwork for his restaurant for like the vip area of the restaurant mm. and like some wallpaper and uh, from there on, it kind of like I got got some wind in my sails, and, mm-hmm. they, and so wait, that, this that, re- I kind of want to talk about this restaurant a little bit because it, it wasn't just any restaurant. I mean, they uh, were they eventually a three star Michelin restaurant. It's the first, yeah, it's the first three star Michelin <laughs> restaurant in uh, Scandinavia. Uh, they pick, they became. I think when I when I started working with them, they were two star uh and after a while and then i started working with them and we did some stuff and then they became three star while we're still in this collaboration uh and and the are you saying the chef was into black metal is that right yeah yeah so Uh, i I have a hard time imagining a three star michelin chef uh, also being into black metal <laughs> oh no he used to i don't know how much he listen he still listens to it but a, a bunch but uh i don't know chefs chefs are often quite extreme people <laughs> yeah yeah um, i mean he's not playing it at the restaurant he is he's definitely not playing it at the restaurant <laughs> uh he definitely there's a reason why that restaurant got three stars it's an mm-hmm. absolutely amazing magical place and we just we just uh, found each other through the love of like black metal and stuff like that, and then uh, and he, his whole focus for the restaurant was to revive the focus on Norwegian food because Norwegian cuisine is not that amazing. Is that quite plain, boring stuff? But all the stuff we have here because our growing season is quite spectacular. It's uh, it's really cold most of the year, but as soon as the light comes, it's a slow, sun-filled 
uh, growing season, so everything gets like a lot of taste and like all the sea seafood is amazing because of the cold water and stuff like that. So he kind of brought all of these Norwegian ingredients and gave it a new twist. And to go along with that, he really liked the uh, what he considered the sound of Norway, which is black metal. And the imagery for that would be, he, he thought quite fitting was my artwork. And how did he make that connection at that point? Uh, had you done any work for like any black metal artists or just, had you just seen? I think what happened is that we, I think, I'm I'm not sure about this. My memory is a little bit fuzzy, but I think what happened is that we met randomly at a cocktail bar and also we just started talking for some odd reason. And then it then he realized that I was the guy uh, that had designed because I had recently designed a clothing collection for a Norwegian clothing company. It was like basically also like a black metal type of clothing company, but like high fashion. Mm-hmm. And he suddenly realized I was the guy who had designed what he was wearing. Uh, oh, he didn't wow. wear it. He didn't wear it that night, but he had those clothing, and that uh, fashion collection I did that f- did there for that brand. That was like the first thing I did outside of the snowboard industry. So he saw that and he realized, yeah, that I had a pretty. I don't know. He liked my my artwork, which was way more inspired by black metal back then. Mm -hmm. And when did you get into black metal? Uh, I've always been terrified of black metal when I was a kid. Like one of my best friends now, he was like a local Satanist when I was a kid. He would even burn like Bibles uh, at school because we got like free Bibles from like the church or something and he gathered them (laughs) all and made a bonfire that terrified oh me yeah it terrified me <laughs> okay uh so i always stayed a little bit i stayed away from it uh but i do remember uh i'm not sure exactly which film it was was it it was definitely one of the kingpin snowboard movies they used Demi Burger. yeah and then i heard that and i'm like whoa this is absolutely magical and i just fell in love with it so much and then it turns out one of my best friends at the time who was also like a fellow metalhead because i like metal like iron maiden and slayer and i don't know motorhead and stuff like that but he's he he introduced me to more black metal at that moment i just loved it so much right away yeah, that's that's funny because I have the exact same kind of origin story <laughs> in in Utah. Uh, yeah, watching watching the Demo Borgir uh, part on uh, I can't remember what it was. I think it was Kingpin. It was the it was the film before Destroyer, whichever that was. Uh, uh, I'm pretty yeah, sure. I don't, I don't remember, but I do. They did. Re- I remember they used. Uh, I think it was. Uh... Was it Puritania they used in Brainstorm? I don't remember, but I remember. I think like, so. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. It was absolutely magical, and uh, mm-hmm. so it's been kind of like it, it, it's it's one of those music genres that kind of felt like it became part of my personality somehow. Mm-hmm. And in terms of your artistic style that you have today, with with your your larger pieces that you're doing for galleries and. When did that like particular style originate and, and how? The, the funny thing is, 
I've been asked this question so many times that I should probably know, but I have uh-huh. no clue. I do, yeah. I do keep finding like older and older pieces that uh, that I have forgotten about, where I'm like, oh, yeah, that's definitely that's definitely on the way to becoming what I'm doing now, because I used to just do like funny little cartoony characters, like just demons doing dumb stuff. But you, a lot of drunk demons doing dumb stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. but suddenly there's like, there's, there's a serious piece in there. Uh, I know my sister has one of the absolutely first ones that was like a series and it was, the. it's just like this gloomy forest and the shadows of ravens flying through, flying through the forest. And I, I have no idea where that idea came from, but it definitely, if you saw that today, you can tell that you would you you would be able to tell that I've done that, but it does not look like my stuff now. But it's definitely on the way to becoming this. So I'm guessing that would have been twenty years ago, fifteen years ago, something like oh, wow. that. Yeah, I think like at least for me in, in in your type of art and black metal. You know, I was an English major in in college, and mm-hmm. I took an entire course on like the early romantic period poets and writers. And I learned a lot about that period. And we even discussed some of like the artists at that time who the the big theme of that century was just nature being this ultra kind of dark, powerful, mysterious, sometimes haunting, but sometimes just like inspiring force. Yeah. You know, and, and I just, I feel like that's what you're, work uh captures as well as you know i think the a- typical listener you know average person i guess who listens to black metal wouldn't hear that aspect of it but you know a lot of the best bands in my opinion you know a lot of their themes are, are nature focused as well yeah i think and, uh, it black metal is definitely what uh opened my eyes to seeing the beauty of the wild untouched forest even though it's not untouched is kind of that's debatable but it definitely because it, it it's it's a pretty big focus of at least the Norwegian black metal. They got labeled with all this silly Satanism stuff, which mm-hmm. it, it was just like a sidetrack. Like they thought it was funny because they were like anti everything. So why not also join the go with like Satanism? Mm-hmm. But the main focus was like believing in focusing on like the grimness and coldness of Norwegian living. And and it opened my eyes for that beauty because I I had grown up in it. And I'm pretty sure if you grow up in the Maldives, you don't see how beautiful it is either because you're just too used to it. Um, mm-hmm. That became like my main obsession because I had by that time I had traveled so much. I'd been all over the world with snowboarding, and then I'd seen all these beautiful, amazing places. And suddenly, I managed to see like where I lived, what I've grown up in. I could see that with new eyes and I could see the beauty of that. And that was, that was quite amazing to be honest, because it was right here. And I, I, I noticed that like most, most of my friends and neighbors, fellow Norwegians, we didn't really see it because we were just used to it. Uh, but somehow mm-hmm. these black metal dudes who made pretty horrible music that everyone hated, they had found it. And that was, that was amazing to me. Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty wild. 
but I think there's, you know, there's something like enlivening about embracing your, the, the cold and, and, and also just accepting it and uh, kind of thriving in it, you know, like I think a lot of people are exposed to, you know, winter or the cold and they just want to like go back inside and get in front of the fire and kind of escape it. But I think once you get to that point where you, well, first of all, you know how to dress. <laughs> yeah. And then second, you know, you, you know how to kind of thrive in it. It's so um, just like inspiring and energizing, you know, to, to be outside in the winter. I think it's absolutely amazing. It's, it's really, mm -hmm. I do, I do love to get out. And uh, like, for instance, this morning I was out, I was out running, uh, got out six in the morning. It's all, it's still pitch black here in Norway. And, but it was snowing like crazy to the point where I actually had to shield my eyes with my hand running uh, because it was snowing so hard. You experience something so different and so spectacular and amazing that I'm not sure exactly what it does, but it definitely like it opens your mind to what can be and how to experience the world. And you just learn, learn to appreciate everything so much more by like embracing every side of reality, even though it's raining or windy or pitch black or ice cold doesn't really matter like get out my mm -hmm. my my biggest advice to people is like get out when you think it's horrible to get out yeah one saying i usually have is like you know prepare for the worst and the worst is probably unlikely to happen um, when you're going outside that's a good um, point because yeah like you, in your mind you can make it seem like it's going to be you know pretty horrible and but if you just prepare for that and you go outside, it's like, yeah, maybe the clouds will part and it'll be a little warmer or, you know, maybe it just won't be that cold. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's been, uh, I mean, it's been, it, it's quite common now for the last couple of months that I've been out running and my whole face, it looks like I'm about to audition for the new Frozen movie because I'm like frozen <laughs> eyelashes and. I've got icicles hanging down from my eyebrows and everything. It's uh, it, it's been yeah. ice cold. I don't know how much it's yeah. in Fahrenheit, but it's been like minus twenty five to minus thirty here for a uh -huh. month now. Yeah, I've seen some of those photos. You look, you, you're you're a complete snowman. <laughs> oh yeah, and that's just and that's just it's not from snow falling. That's just like uh, that's just the steam coming off of my body turning into oh, right. ice on my face. Mm -hmm. Have you always been a run? Like, when did you start running? By the way, uh, definitely in my thirties. Was I hated running when I was a kid, mm -hmm. uh, but it's my biggest hobby now. I absolutely love it. Uh, so I picked it up when I was somewhere in my thirties, uh, like like every other thirty-year-old. Uh, they think like thirty years old. Now that I'm way older. I know that 30 yeah. is still pretty, pretty young. Uh, but yeah, so I started running to like, uh, maybe it's time to like actually start taking care of my, take care of my body. Uh, but I had busted knees and I have a broken lower back. So it hurt pretty much to run. So I stopped. Uh, but it was not until I found those, Babe magnets, the the vibram five fingers. 
Do you know those horrible yeah. shoes with the toes? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was not until I found them that I actually were able to run again without being in, in excruciating pain. And but, but you don't wear those in the winter, right? Uh, I don't wear them at all anymore because I've found something that makes me look more like a human being. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I, would, I would use them all the time. Uh, I wouldn't, this is like the first winter I'm actually running regular, regular, oh, that's a hard word. Regularly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got yeah. it. And, and also like running on the snow is, is softer. So that helps to reduce you know, your knee and, and back impact quite a bit. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it, it's all like the, the, the snow is horrible on my lower back. That's the thing that hurts the most. It's like oh, not to okay. have a stable underground, a stable uh, ground to run on mm-hmm, that can mm-hmm. hurt. But it, it, so I do have some kind of like flat shoes, like hippie shoes that uh, if I run, the wrong way it will let me know by hurting so mm-hmm. i can still do it and i'm to the point now where i can run quite a bit uh without like i don't know how much i run like 50 50k a week or something like that mm-hmm. uh and it doesn't hurt at all anymore yeah i mean you you're doing like 16 in in, in miles like i've seen you've done some 16 mile runs um, All right, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So what, in what the I, snow, <laughs> what I usually do is I do I do uh, every other day I do a ten k run before breakfast, and then in the weekends I do uh, a half marathon or more. So that's mm-hmm. uh, that's what I usually that's that that's my normal running routine now. But uh, so why? Like, why are you running so much? <laughs> uh, it, it, well, there's plenty of reasons. The main reason is that since I've been, uh, since I was a really little kid, uh, as long as I can remember, actually, I've I've suffered from quite quite a severe depression, uh, and it wasn't until I became like I don't know, it was during COVID, so not lo- that long ago. Uh, that I realized that it, it was depression and it's not something that something everyone feels all the time. Like I had to be put on medication and all that kind of shit. And it, uh, that was kind of amazing because I'm like, whoa, this is like fucking living life on easy mode. But I didn't want to be on that medication all the time. And my doctor told me that actually running usually works quite well. And so I found out that it works really, really well. And so that's that's the main reason why I do it now. It was just like uh, instead of taking medication, I do this, and it sucks quite often. I mean, it's like six in the morning. It's fucking freezing cold, and it's snowing or raining, and it's windy, and there's like I'm in the forest, and there's I don't know. Feel like there's troll and wolf and everything around me, <laughs> but still, yeah. it, I prefer that to feeling the way I've been feeling. So, uh, so that's the main thing. But I also now I love it so much. So now it's now it's not a medication anymore. Now it's a treat. That's awesome. And you you get a lot of your inspiration from being out in nature um i'm just wondering if like when you used to hike around the woods and take photos for your your work for inspiration 
did you have that same effect of like calming your mind and feeling better um, just being out exploring, you know, or did it really take the higher effort of, of running? <clears throat> no, it's um, there, there, there's a lot of different approaches to why you want to create art. Uh, to me, it's quite simple. You create art about the stuff that matters to you. And mm. what I noticed when I was out there in the forest is that it would actually calm my mind and it would be, I wouldn't say blissful, but I mean, on the way to blissful. And it was just like, it, it, I, I could definitely feel like it gave me something very special that I, that, that meant a lot to me. So I'm basically just painting what, what makes me, to put it very bluntly, makes me happy. That, that's the very like dumbed down, easy version of it. Um, you can take it further, but basically what I paint is what I think everyone needs in their lives. I think, uh, I think people can have a wonderful life living in the city, but it could be better if you do get, if you, you get a little bit of nature in your life, it does you quite well. And there, there's been recent studies that actually do show that, and this is uh, something I just picked up on. I just saw it uh, in new studies that uh, it actually has really good effects on the human mind to be in nature or just look at pictures of nature or even artworks of nature. So I had this hunch because I just, I felt it on my own body. Like this really, really does me good. And now I don't really think about it anymore. And now I just paint the stuff that makes me stop and think like, holy shit, what a wonderful moment this was. And that's always, it's always in nature. It's never when I'm walking around slightly drunk in Oslo, never had that moment like, whoa, this is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how do you choose, uh, I mean, you're, you're out there a lot, you're taking a lot of photos. I mean, what is it about a particular scene that will excite you enough to want to recreate it as a painting? Well, the really like artistic, pretentious, pompous answer, which is actually true, is that I don't feel like I'm the one choosing the moment or choosing what to paint. Suddenly something mm -hmm. just happens. There's, there's, no, there's no rational thinking behind it. It's just like some, I, I, I've, I, I see something and I stop and I say, well, that's absolutely amazing. Uh, but what I've done is that I've trained myself to see that more often. Because I've really, like, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to find the magic and the beauty in all things mundane. Like the stuff I pass every single day. I mean, right now, mm -hmm. as I'm talking to you, I'm, I'm walking from my canvas to look out my window. And there's currently the snow is falling. And being uh it, it's getting stuck on like birch branches and it's absolutely mm -hmm. amazing and when, when when you train yourself into seeing the beauty of the world all the time you actually get quite good at it and i think that mm -hmm. that's true for everyone and uh just to add an additional point here so yeah i think in a lot of parts of the world especially america it's hard for people to do that because they spend so much time driving to go everywhere they need to go. Oh yeah. And so they never they never slow down enough to uh, like observe simple pleasures, you know, simple, you know, beautiful things like even just a single standing tree, you know, you can walk by it and be like, "Damn, that's a really nice tree." 
you know, and you could like look at the moss on it or just the way that the, you know, the roots come down or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. if you're in a car, you're never going to see that period. Well, well, yeah, you know. well yeah, I mean, you can. I mean, I've been doing well, road trips. <laughs> yeah. I've been yeah. doing road trips in the U.S. and I've been awestruck about the beauty of 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 America. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it passes passes quite fast. You don't you don't even though you travel. Let's say you travel a hundred miles, you see a hundred beautiful things. But you will also see a hundred beautiful things if you just walk outside for ten minutes. Yeah. So you yeah, I guess that's a better way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of the difference between like kind of a, a closer view of, of detail and texture versus like uh, when you're in a car, you're kind of seeing bigger perspectives, you know? Yeah. Plus, you don't really need to worry about not dying when you're out walking as much as in a car, probably. Yeah. Uh, so, so you can actually dedicate all your senses to enjoy what you're seeing rather than paying attention to if everyone around you is about to follow the traffic rules or not. And with your paintings, um, I, I don't recall seeing one that had like a, like a further out view or even a bird's eye view or, you know, like um, it seems like most of your paintings have this similar kind of depth of, of perspective. I mean, some have like a trailing road that kind of goes off into the vanishing point a bit, mm-hmm. but um I mean, so are, are, would you say all of your paintings are from the perspective of like a person? Oh yeah, the, uh, uh, yeah. More, more pretentious, pompous art artists talk. Um, I don't mm-hmm. see these as landscape landscape paintings at all. I see these as self portraits. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's, I mean, there's been people who ask me like, um, "Aren't you gonna paint? Why why don't you add some people to your paintings or something like that?" And the kind of almost like cheeky childish answer to that is that there there is people in my paintings like the people who see it like so Mm -hmm. you you get a glimpse into my head this is not a painting of what nature looks like this is what it looks like in my head when i see nature um Mm. so it would always be you will always get like the um the view from a person who tries to see the beauty of the world so it's always it always has a very human viewpoint that's the idea and it does not it does not show the beauty of the world but it shows you uh shows you a moment where i saw the beauty of the world and you're you're painting like the beauty of the world as as you see it and i think your your paintings are really beautiful but that you're you know you're using only black they can seem, I think, to some people quite dark. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just curious about like your choice to to go with this sort of, you know, dark perspective, but it's also beautiful because they're kind of on opposite ends of, of what some people, you know, think. But um, yeah, I'm just curious I, about that. that yeah, uh, not, it's not a contradiction, not a paradox. I don't, I don't know what to call it. <laughs> you no, know what I mean? I, yeah. Uh, no, I know 100% what you mean. People have said this to me uh, often. One of my favorite artists actually told me the same thing on Thursday, which was kind of fun to hear. And uh, to me, I don't see the darkness at all. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't get it. Uh, my wife tells me, but I think what I found out... So, so the thing about, with, uh, for me, with art, is that it can teach you a lot. 
it can it can teach you a lot about yourself about being human about the human experience about everything around us and stuff like that but i think it's quite wrong to believe that the artists are sitting uh, that the artists are sitting with the answers and try to convey it what they know to you so i'm i'm discovering at the same time as these, as other people are i i found out about myself after a, when I'm painting and after I'm done with the painting. So what I've figured out about that dark part is that, well, I've grown up with my feet solid planted in like this dark mud and deep in the dark fog of depression and like seeing life quite darkly. Uh, but I've actually been lucky enough to get a glimpse of the sunlight and the beauty of the world, and I'm still stuck there. I'm, I will always be stuck down there somehow, but I'm reaching upwards. I'm trying to see that beauty into a kind of like, it, it's a longing for that beauty the whole time, but I think it's kind of hard to get rid of your past, and I think that's mm -hmm. what's happening, because uh, I mm -hmm. certainly do not try to make any dark painting. I think it just comes out that way, because that's who I am. And um, you mentioned that <clears throat> you had this, realization that um it, it was depression uh during sometime around you know the, the pandemic um yeah. and you mentioned finding a way to help improve it a bit either through medication originally but now through running has your art style or perspective changed since that realization and since you've i mean you seem like a really happy guy to me honestly oh yeah um, i am yeah absolutely yeah Mm -hmm. Um, it's kind of the, the way I said it, it's not quite right. Uh, it's not like I got diagnosed with depression and then I got medication and then I found running. Mm -hmm. It's been it's been an um it's been an ongoing process since I was a very little boy mm -hmm. to figure out how I can live and have a better life uh, out of necessity. Uh, some people call it depression. I see like all the artists, they, 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 dis they describe it in a different way. The thing I know is that I can get, I, I get being in the world can just hurt me quite badly. N like where nothing actually happens, it just, it just hurts. Uh, so I've just spent my whole life trying to figure out what I can do to make it hurt less. What I can do mm -hmm. to make it be, be not easier, but better. And I found that through snowboarding. Boy, oh boy, did I find that through snowboarding. It was absolutely amazing. But when I did lose that snowboarding where I couldn't snowboard all the time, and I would, but you, I mean, my wife been telling me, like, it's almost painful to watch me during the summer because I couldn't snowboard. Like, I was, I was a mess. Uh, so when I stopped snowboarding because I tried to make it, uh, to make a living to take care of my, my, my family, it, it, it just just flared up really bad um but so i i would then like try to like come up with like stuff i could do and like art is definitely way more important to fighting uh how i feel I, or as fight it is a wrong word because i do think it goes hand in hand with how i see and feel the world uh this is just the expression that comes out of it uh but it, it feels way 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 better to to portray or or kind of communicate these feelings through painting and through art 
So the main thing is art. And there's other stuff that you do as well, but I think art is when you boil it down, it's not what you do on a canvas or through a song, but it's how you see the world. So that's been like my main art form is learning to see mm-hmm. the world with loving eyes. Was that a um, sort of an idea that you got a little bit from the Dostoevsky's The Idiot? Is that something you said? Um, Dostoevsky's uh, The Idiot is, uh, no, that's, that's also something I learned. That was also after. Uh, okay. Okay. I, I didn't read that until after I was on medications and all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. But it resonated. Uh, it really resonated. I think Dostoevsky in himself is absolutely a genius when it comes to portraying the darker side of the human psyche. And also like maybe not the darker side, but also the more idealistic sides of mm-hmm. our psyche. Um, so it really struck a chord when I did re- start to read him. And I've read that book, I think, three times. I'm rereading it now for the fourth, and I really love it. Yeah, I, I read, like, after you mentioned that to me, I just read a little bit about it, and I noticed there's uh, a lot of juxtaposition between like experience and innocence within the idiot and yeah. um and the main character I, I don't know his name but um prince mishkin yeah and he's he's got this kind of innocent perspective which is why he's perceived as the idiot <laughs> yeah he uh, sees the world he sees the world the way i want to see the world uh without cynicism without darkness mm-hmm. and actually believing and just, i don't know that when it comes to him it does mention that he, he, he doesn't understand how it's possible to be sad when you pass a tree and see the beauty of, beauty of it or when you see a child laughing, how it's possible to be unhappy. So that's, that's one side of it. Uh, and I think like maybe the main theme of that book is to show if you do take the time to appreciate the world, you get to appreciate the world and living in it. But him... In that book, it also focuses a lot on how he relates to other people. And I think it's quite beautiful the way he does it. I think we all should be a little little bit more like him. That in the way that he sees, he tries to see the good in everyone and the beauty of everyone. Because the world is, we're we're quite, it feels like everyone's angry at each other. And what he does is that he... He always tries to find that nice thing about people. There, and there's good in absolutely everyone. So uh, I think it's, uh, it's definitely an ideal to follow. Yeah, and, and like to bring that kind of back to sports and snowboarding and skateboarding, like being in, in some of these cultures, there's so many haters who just will either hate on you know, skiing or hate on, uh, in, in like cycling, which I'm a big, I'm really into like the downhillers hate on the cross country riders, the, yeah. I mean, everyone, everyone kind of hates on the roadies, the roadies hate on the mountain bikers. <laughs> I just, I just don't understand. Like, like it's so just stupid to be hating on what someone else loves to do. The sad, you know part, what I mean. The sad part about that is that it's obviously a very, very normal part of being human to hate on people who do something that you don't like to do, and uh-huh. 
And it, it's one of those human aspects that I think we should probably work a little bit on, maybe at least not well, focus on. <laughs> and it's so confining because it's like, okay, if you're hating on that, then that means you're just going to avoid it because you don't want to uh, contradict yourself <laughs> at some point. Yeah. But, but honestly, like dipping your toes into other things is really fun. I think one of the things you said earlier is that, um, this is in our previous conversation that the reason for living is to improve. Yeah. And I found as I've gotten older, like I started skiing again because I suck at it and I thought it would be really fun to kind of learn how. Yeah. And honestly, I've had so much fun being bad at skiing <laughs> lately. Uh, yeah. It, it It's fun. I mean, uh-huh. I think like one of the thing that's by the way that quote about like the reason for living or like the reason of life I've stolen that from uh, from a friend of mine he's a he's a, a philosopher uh, he, he actually he quite humbly wrote a book called the meaning of life um, but what he mentions in there is that the reason why you should choose life rather than to kill yourself uh wh- wh- why life is better than killing yourself is actually the act of improving and mm-hmm. and stagnation does feel kind of like a slow suicide i think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in like in like real world terms like what does that mean in terms of seeking improvement that's the hard question because I don't think like you don't. It's natural to think like what to become better at a sport or to become to make more money at work or stuff mm-hmm. like that. But I think no, I think it's just like whatever it is, mm-hmm. just doing do better. Yeah, and you know with yourself what's better. It could be like I can be like. I can be nicer to my neighbor, uh, just learn how to be like that or be a better dad. I can be a better painter. Uh, I can be better at taking care of myself, something where it's not like whatever I'm doing now is absolutely perfect. No need to change anything here. And you know, like, I'm pretty sure everyone also recognizes how horrible and bad it feels to do worse. That's one of the that's one of the problems with snowboarding for me now, is that I'm definitely getting worse. I used to be pretty okay, now I'm not. I'm not good. Uh, yeah. So, so what progression for me in snowboarding means then, is to still manage to do cool stuff and have fun with it on a on on a completely new type of terms when it comes to snowboarding because it used to be doing the best tricks and stuff like that but now it's more like mm-hmm. to be able to be out there and have fun and show my kids how to snowboard and teach them how to snowboard and other things and i don't think you need a progression on in everything in life but mm-hmm. just on a general level and i think me as a person i mean like i'm getting better handling my whole being like being a depressed man that i mean that was I was a huge part of my personality. I managed to learn how to live with that now. And that's, that's, that's definitely a progression that is mm-hmm. making my life a whole, more enjoy- a whole lot more enjoyable. And um, I want to uh, mention two things here. So obviously you seek a lot of joy 
or in helping your kids improve with you know anything that they're doing and teaching them how to snowboard yeah um so in in a way like the improvement doesn't even have to be your own it it can be in helping others improve yeah. especially your, your your children yeah i think um, i mean like like i said this is my uh this is my philosopher friend who brother famous Norwegian philosopher it's his mm-hmm. it's his theory I'm just quoting him and it's just like yeah some yeah. things you kind of just like you read it and you're like that makes sense but you can't really explain it yet mm-hmm. that doesn't mean doesn't mean anything really uh, I think you mm-hmm. kind of you can pick up on some on truths like that uh, without quite understanding it and I think mm-hmm. I, I think that also happens in art you you can pick mm-hmm. up on something even though you can't describe it or understand it quite yet yourself, uh, but it's out there and you understand the significance of it somehow deep down. Maybe not on a conscious level yet, but on some level, it makes sense. I think that's like a big part of why the the, the pal surfboards and the snurfers. And the uh, the like skateboard, like the snow skates or whatever they're called, that like Terrier does a lot of. Yeah, um, I can see why like that can be so fun. Like for me, I got into power surfing the last few years, and it, it's a it's something to continue to kind of improve at because you're you're making it harder. <laughs> Suddenly, you're like, let's get rid of the bindings. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, uh, it's so fun, you know. Oh, uh, I, I love it. I, I have way more fun on my snurfer. Than I have on my uh-huh. snowboard now. Yeah, I was You're not doing any tricks. <laughs> There's absolutely no tricks. But I was snurfing yeah. to work today, and I was really stoked that I managed to get like all the way down. That was, uh-huh. yeah, I've done it a bunch of times, but today the conditions were kind of hard, and yeah. So uh, yeah, no, it, it, but it's like progression in itself. If you only want to focus on progression, I don't think it's going to be that good. But if you focus on also, like I think there's also a quite big aspect of actually enjoying what you're doing. So I decide mm-hmm. to have fun and play on my way to work every single day. That's I uh, in the winter time I snowboard. In the summertime, I mean. I walk along and pick like wild strawberries and like, I don't know, take photos and try to really see the beauty and be, be truly amazed about what I pass every single day. Um, And I think there's, those don't exclude each other. There, there, there is some kind of progression in that as well. Uh, Cause, cause I definitely know that I'm, I'm not going to say I'm a better painter or artist or anything like that than other people, but I do know that I'm probably better at seeing the beauty of the area I live in than other people. Yeah. And I feel like even your, your photographs that you take are print and like, I mean, people would buy those. I feel like, uh, yeah, uh, they're, they're really, really, really nice. And I, it's, it's clear to see, in those photographs, you know, what you see when you're out there. Um, and there's something about the way that the snow like settles onto trees in Norway. Um, maybe because it's like a combination of like ice and cold or the type of snow that it is. It just, you can tell, I mean, you can tell when it's like uh, a photograph somewhere in somewhere like Norway, you know, maybe Sweden too. But uh, 
It doesn't really do that the same in, in Utah where I'm, I've spent most of my winters. No, it, and um, it's really funny because uh, you, when you do get the chance to travel around to snowy mm-hmm. places, you do re- realize that people think snow snow but it's not it, it's so different mm-hmm. like if you, you i mean also um the snow if you compare the snow from uh from uh pacific northwest to salt lake to yeah. california it's completely different i, I don't i don't mm-hmm. understand how like mammoth and bear mountain for instance in california it to me that it feels like summer the whole time but it's still tons of snow so it's really funny, and that's the first thing I noticed when I did get to California and Mammoth Mountain and started riding there. It's like, holy shit, it's just like in the videos. It's like green trees and snow. It just does not look real at all to us. Because yeah. yeah. Norway is quite... There's not a lot of colors here in, in the wintertime. It's kind of all like this weird gray color. And I think that's a little more humid there. There's more just general moisture in the air. And uh, that means that when it's cold, it feels really cold. Yeah. Uh, and I, in, like in Utah, there's it's so dry. There's no moisture in the air. So it can be 10 degrees or I mean, it's Fahrenheit. Very, very cold. And if the sun's out, it doesn't feel bad at all. Like you could just be chilling like in the sun and uh, yeah. it can feel really good. I'm probably probably why it's like that here. I mean, because we are, I'm living right next to a lake. There's, it's right next to the to the coast, and everything's kind of coastal in Norway, unless it's a high mountain. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so I want to get back to black metal just a little bit because that's actually how I first uh, found your art, and um, and I also oh, want to cool. make the point too that yeah, I, I want to make the point too that I saw your artwork. Uh, on Instagram, and I thought it was super cool. I went to your website, and I just thought that the style w- was awesome, and I could see right away, you know, what you were going for, and I really appreciated it. And uh, I didn't even learn until fairly recently that you were a pro snowboarder. Oh, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I just want to say that, like, I appreciated your art, uh, yeah, standalone, like for what it was. Yeah, and 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 not because you were a snowboarder, because I think there's a lot of artists who do sports, and you know people really like them as as athletes, and then they're like, oh yeah, your art's good, it's great, but they're really they're just kind of being nice. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, my biggest fear always. <laughs> yeah, and so I, I just want to say that, like, um, at least from my perspective, you know, the, the snowboarding history didn't need to exist for me to really like the art no I hope um, so i hope it's completely irrelevant yeah and then uh and yeah it was like i think i followed you in like 2019 after i learned about uh the devil album Blansvart, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> i don't know how to say it that's pretty close <laughs> okay yeah i'm not gonna try yeah no you you yeah i'm, I'm... <laughs> The hard rolling on the R's is not easy for um, a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I can roll an R. I just, I just didn't. I wasn't even aware that that's what you're supposed to do with Norwegian. <laughs> but how did that uh, commission come about to do their album cover? Oh, oh, to be honest, I have no clue. 
and that was a commission like they didn't just pick one of your pieces no that's com- that's definitely drawn for them uh let's see it was a it was a set of weird coincidences i think what had happened is that i had made some artwork for the norwegian band black metal band satyricon i think everything happened at the same time and i'm not very good at like uh noticing anything that anything is out of the ordinary everything feels like day to day for me it, like being a pro snowboarder people think it's amazing to me it just felt like it's just normal life uh so uh i do think it was during the time i was starting to do stuff for satyricon uh and suddenly because there, there was a period where i got just loads of a request to do black metal stuff and in black metal i like black metal quite extreme music but there's a lot of extreme people with kind of extreme ideas and opinions as well ideas and opinions i don't agree with uh so i'm quite picky when it comes to artwork or who i want to do artwork for but Diebel, i knew kind of I knew who they were and stuff like that, but they were like friends of friends. So I was kind of, I was kind of stoked on them. Uh, and it turns out like, I just, I, I don't know. I just randomly ran into like the main dude, like the main dude of the band. And we just started talking and it was quite early in my career, like art career that I did. And uh, I'm actually looking at it right now. It's in my bookshelf. But I, 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 all of these ideas, it's weird. I, I don't remember any details about them that much, mm-hmm. really. And uh, now that you mentioned Satyricon, uh, yeah. because they're they're absolutely legendary. What kind of work did you do for them? Um, first thing I did for let's see, uh, what came first? Like, so the singer of Satyricon and the main dude behind Satyricon, Sigurd Vongraven, he has a wine company here in Norway. Uh, Huh. Uh, Von wine, right? Yeah. Perfect mm-hmm. pronunciation. Yeah, uh, I just mimic, mimic to you. <laughs> yeah. Von Gravenwein. And uh, he, it's not like, uh, I'm guess I'm sure in the US you guys have a lot of like celebrity wine stuff as well, or celebrity mm-hmm. beers or stuff like that. But he is actually really, really, really good wine producer. He makes really good wine. And that he is a black metal musician has nothing to do with it. So, but anyway, he asked me to do some artwork for those, for his uh, wine label. And I started doing that and that worked out and he was pretty happy with it. And then suddenly he wanted me to uh, do like a, like, like a signature collection for Satyricon of t-shirts and like, like merch stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I did that. Uh, I did a bunch of so I did all of those a uh, bunch of t-shirts for them and like hoodies and stuff like that uh, I forgot what they're called but like a homecoming collection by Danny Larson or something weird like that mm-hmm. then I did more of his wine so I then uh, did in total like four or five of his wines I think very cool and um, I'm going to tie Satyricon back to, to art real quick yeah I loved the first few albums or several albums by satyricon i think up until 
the last one I really liked was probably Volcano or maybe Rebel Extravaganza. I can't remember which one came mm-hmm. last. And then it kind of had a middle period that I didn't really love. Didn't really listen to that a lot. But then their most uh, recent release, uh, <laughs> I can't it, remember. It's, it's Deep, pretty- calleth, Deep calleth with it, whatever. Uh, uh, the one with the Edvard Munch uh, uh, drawing on the yeah. cover. What is it called? Uh, Deep Calls Upon Deep or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I actually really like that album. I feel like it kind of came full circle a little bit, or it just felt like nice and kind of raw, like a little more raw, less. They weren't trying to be as like tough as they were in their previous few albums. I think they what what uh, happened is just that they they matured. They became older men. Uh, yeah, dar- yeah. Darkness looks different when you get yeah. older. It's not yeah, so angry. Yeah. It's more there. There's more thought to it. There's more silence. There's more time, kind of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I also really like that album because uh, it, it just there. Once again, there's a progression. Maybe a progression that everyone liked because they still want them to sound like they did when they were like 18. But mm-hmm. uh, you you don't stay 18. You get older. Right, you learn right. more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, it has the uh, drawing by. Edvard uh, Munch. Is it Munch or Munch? <laughs> uh, it's uh, Munch. Okay. Yeah. And uh, were you inspired by any of his work um, since he was a, a Norwegian artist? Um, no, is that not somebody at all. you look to? No. no? Uh, okay. The general idea in Norway is that no one in Norway is supposed to stand out. That's like a Norwegian, like unwritten rule. You're you're not supposed to like. Like, for instance, what they do in the hip-hop industry where they kind of brag about themselves, that's like the opposite of what you should do uh, mm-hmm. according to Norwegian manners. Um, mm-hmm. And so that, that, that's been true in Norway as well. Even with like great geniuses like Edvard Munch, he donated most of his artwork to, uh, to uh, the city of Oslo, like thousands of pieces. And they're like, whatever. And they just stored it away and like closets and like some originals were hanging at toilets and student uh student dorms and stuff like that so like a bunch of them have been stolen just because they couldn't care less so edward munk wasn't really that big of a deal when i grew up in norway it's not until like Hmm. the last couple of years that we actually realized how amazing he was uh it's kind of kind of kind of embarrassing actually uh but to me he was just like he was just like he was a painter not that big of a deal but now i i'm a huge fan of his i think he is his work is absolutely amazing but i don't think i don't think i've taken much inspiration from him i see a lot of people that do uh but i try as much as you i can not to draw inspiration from any other artists uh but i think that's impossible because you can't really control what you're inspired by i think yeah and i think he got a bit uh cast type in terms of just being known for his his most famous piece i think it's called the scream yeah um so so and i think and that that kind of made him a one-dimensional you know person at least in terms of being what he was known for but really he had so much more you know, 
oh, there's uh, <clears throat> there's definitely tons of stuff, and uh, Scream is probably my least favorite, but oh, that's also probably because it's the one I've seen the most. Uh, mm-hmm. but he has so much amazing stuff and once again there it shows so much about like the human human experience what it's like to be a human and like and not the shiny happy moments but like all mm-hmm. the dark sides that comes along with it and he was absolutely brilliant um, there's been like debates about like what inspired him in Norway and I do recognize a lot of the stuff that I see in his painting. I'm like, I do realize that he probably had it kind of like I had it, have it. Uh, the way we see the world and the way we experience the world. Uh, but I'm, I'm very frustrated. So in The Scream, there, it's quite famous how he painted the, the, the sky in that painting. Uh, it's like these wavy red lines uh like blood red uh, blood red clouds wavy clouds mm-hmm. and uh, all of the all of the experts are like no it has nothing to do with real weather it, he only painted the emotions and the colors are expressions of his emotions but at the same time i know those clouds they happen here in norway quite a lot uh in the summertime and when they do happen i it, i I go through a fucking tornado of emotions and I get terrified and I get like anxious and at the same time awestruck and I think it's beautiful. So I think it's kind of silly how we kind of separate what like the real world from real world or external life from our inner lives. They're strongly connected and what you see and how you act on it really affects how you live your life. So another thing you mentioned uh, in our previous conversation, it sounds like you have some sort of ski trip to uh, maybe a hut coming up with um, some of these black metal band members. (laughs) Is that right? Oh, yeah. Uh, Still not happened. Uh, Yeah, I'm going on. uh, I'm supposed to go on some kind of cross-country ski trip to the to uh the drummer of satiricon in 1349 he has a cabin somewhere i don't know where it is but i'm supposed to cross-country ski up to his cabin with the singer of 1349 to sit in the middle of the forest and drink beer i think uh (laughs) but i haven't really got any more details lately that that is uh (laughs) They're, they're that's, both, really, that's so funny to me <laughs> yeah and because the, the, the thing is like that those boys are they're proper beer connoisseurs like mm-hmm. not and oh they're snobby as well uh but they definitely know their stuff when it comes to beer they're they're really good so i'm actually also i just actually i almost do no commission work anymore uh definitely not commercial uh, but these are my my friends. So uh, in the near future, there will be a new 1349 beer that I've drawn drawn the label for. Awesome. Yeah, it's a, it's going to be a Belgian triple, so it's going to be quite heavy stuff. It'll be a 13.49 percent. Maybe. Yeah, could be. That would be really strong. That'd be like uh, what do they call that? Barley wine or whatever. Yeah, I think like uh, like because a triple is up. A triple is around triple's 10. like nine. 
nine. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Anyway, I just picturing you backcountry skiing with Frost from Satyricon and uh, the other guy from Thirteen Forty Nine is just a, a really funny image. Oh, uh, cross <laughs> cross country skiing is Frost's favorite hobby, uh, and and uh, when it comes to the singer Ravn, his favorite hobby mm-hmm. is uh, gravel biking. Oh wow! Yeah, oh, that's that's wild. So we hang like should... out. We hang out on Strava. That's that's so funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I should I should follow those guys or get yeah. them on the show. Even better. <laughs> yeah, so Olav, or, or his stage name is Ravn, he is an absolute insane biker. Like, he loves uh-huh. to ride his bike. He rides his bike uh-huh. nonstop. Mm-hmm. And uh, he would come, like, he lives in Oslo, which is on the other side of the forest from where I live. But he will, he will jump on his bike, ride his bike for four hours to get to my house to bring me a pack of fresh coffee beans that I grind up and then i make coffee for us and we have that and then he says bye and then he heads back to oslo that's awesome oh man i i I wish i could just document this this trip and just it's just uh so funny (laughs) to think about so i think my last question today so you've been uh painting this entire conversation is that right that's 100 percent correct um can you as best as you can describe what you're painting today Okay, so what I'm painting, it's, uh, so far, it's my biggest painting so far. Uh, it's, uh, it's two canvases next to each other, uh, forming one image of very heavy snow falling over a forest. It's the forest behind my house. And it kind of, it's quite chaotic. The main focus of the image is probably the snow falling and what happens in the landscape behind is more like an afterthought. Uh, but there is one tree that stands out to me and it's my favorite tree in the whole wide world and I see it every single day. So it kind of has like a, it would probably be seen as the focus area of the painting. But uh, what it focuses on is uh it's it's a painting when it's it's in dusk and when it snows it becomes everything like all details everything just get washed out and everything is get out of focus and it kind of maybe people see that it's quite dark but i see it's quite beautiful and all of these falling snowflakes are like these small 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 I don't know, to sound extremely cheesy, like like there's small moments of joy. So I actually paint all the snowflakes in a bunch of colors. So each snowflake consists of like, they're they're purple, pink, yellow. But when you see it standing like maybe like 10 feet away, it just looks like a black and white painting. But when you get up and close and really study the world or the painting, you can see that it consists of all these colorful small dots. Um, so you mentioned earlier that my paintings are they're made in black. Um, they're actually filled up with color, but uh, they all look kind of black and white until you give them time. So there, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing there's some kind of message in there somewhere, but uh, yeah. 
it, it, it all comes down to like take a closer look, I guess. Take a look at the world a little bit closer. Well, awesome. Uh, this has been a really great conversation today. And um, how long will this uh, piece take you, do you think? Well, uh, it's pretty much done. I think I'm done tomorrow. Uh, I oh, wow. Okay. Uh, it's been about a little bit more than two months, I think. Wow. And does this one have a name yet? No. Uh, I, no. Need to, I need to look at it for quite some time before it has a name. Right now, at the moment, uh, the one thing that strikes me, it's like the, the, it, it, the stillness of falling snow is quite amazing. And it's, not, it's only people who have lived in areas where, with really heavy snow that know that feeling of standing and seeing like the whole world almost looking uh, looking like a static picture on the TV because it's snowing so much and just realizing how much or uh, how much that silence the world. Yeah, and it's it's the sound aspect too of just how quiet it sounds. Um, yeah, it's the best. I know. yeah, I really think this painting has a lot to do with the sound. Sound of silence. Mm -hmm. It's like Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, well, awesome. Uh, I look forward to seeing the, the finished piece. Is that going to end up at the Red House Gallery? Um, yes. This is for... I'm working currently on my uh, on a new solo show in London uh, arranged by oh, Red okay. House Original. So I'm currently working mm -hmm. for that. But that's... Uh, uh, it's not until uh, in a year's time. So I still mm -hmm. have plenty of paintings to make uh, mm. but uh, it's coming along well thank you so much for all your time hey. um, I really I really enjoyed it it was awesome thank you uh, thank you for inviting me all right well enjoy the rest of your day you too thank you and bye bye <laughs>